Well, there's a, uh, a Don Henley song from a while back. It's called The Heart of the Matter. And uh, you may or may not be familiar with it. The, the lyrics actually read like, like a page out of someone's diary uh, in the aftermath of some kind of relational blow up. Um, and he's sorting through all of the feelings and the emotions and the hurt. And in the chorus, he sings and he says, I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, but everything changes. My thoughts seem to scatter, but I think it's about forgiveness. That's, that's what it comes down to, that, that when he got to the bottom of it all and sorted it all out, it ultimately came down to, to forgiveness, to this ability, this capacity to extend forgiveness as well as to receive forgiveness. Forgiveness is the heart of the matter. And forgiveness is something that matters oftentimes more than we even know. Um, we, we've been in a series uh, over the past three weeks. Uh, we're in the third week of a series called The Journey. We're looking through uh, the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's the earliest account that's written of Jesus' life and his ministry, and it's written down with the intention of helping people wrestle through this, this question, a question that I sincerely believe is the question, the ultimate, most critical question in life. The question is, who is Jesus? Um, that's the question that I hope that we're together wrestling through um, in your conversations, um, in your life groups, and whatever context it is as we're working through this. That's my hope. And we left off last week with these three very up-close and personal snapshots of the astounding authority that Jesus demonstrated, that he, he, he had this authority over Scripture, over the spirits, and even over sickness. And he was basically doing what no one else had the ability to do. And, and with that, he was quickly turning into a local celebrity. He was becoming the talk of the town. But as amazing as all that was, the composite um, at this point is still incomplete. There's, there's a whole lot more to this Jesus guy than, than what's been seen so far. Um, and in the passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus himself is going to give us a glimpse into what some of that more actually is. As he claims this morning to be the one who has the authority to forgive sin. And, and that, according to Jesus, really gets down to the heart of the matter. It gets down to the heart of comprehending and understanding who he is and what he's all about. So let's read the passage together, and then we'll go back and, and unpack it together. It says this in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, when, when he returned to, Caper, to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Son, your sins are forgiven? 
or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. All right, so that's our passage. This is the scene, and it opens up with this paralyzed man uh, lying on a makeshift mat, being lowered through a roof, and it's a, it's a very dramatic scene, uh, but it sets up this outrageous claim that Jesus makes. I hope you didn't miss it. He says that he is the one who has the authority to forgive sins. Now, now, this is the very first public statement that Jesus makes about himself, and, and make no mistake, this is a statement that no one in the house that day expected to hear him saying. What do you do with a statement like that? It's kind of like laying down the gauntlet. There has to be some kind of response. You can't just dismiss it. You can't blow it off. You've got to do something with that. So like, if you heard me make a claim like that, I hope you would do something about that. I hope you would get up, you would make a beeline for the door, and you would leave this church and never come back uh, because Pastor Brian does not have the authority to forgive sins. Um, the right to forgive sins is way beyond my pay grade. It's actually beyond all of our pay grades. And that's why the scribes were questioning this. And, and they weren't wrong to question it either. Uh, they're, they're right to question it, and they're right to ask this question, who can forgive sins but God alone? There's just one major difference between you and me and every other person on this planet and Jesus. See, Jesus is not only to make the claim, he also backs it up with this miraculous healing. And so if we're putting the pieces together, if we're coming up with a profile, an answer to the question, who is this Jesus? We're seeing, number one, that he claimed to have the authority to forgive sins, and then he went on and backed it up with this miracle, and then third, only God can forgive sins. So, so where does that leave us? What does this tell us? Is the picture of who Jesus is getting any clearer to you? Right? This, this is God with skin on, walking through our broken down world, and, and he's not handing out a prescription for forgiveness. He's not saying, do this, 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 and then you know, you'll be forgiven. He's handing out the pardon himself. He's saying, forgiveness is found in me. And so, and so it, it all starts out with these four guys, and they go so far out of their way to get their friend to Jesus. And, and by the way, I hope that you have friends like these. These are some good friends to have around. They, they heard about this healer in town, and they, they like adopt this whatever-it-takes attitude. We are getting our buddy to Jesus no matter what. They get to the scene. The room is way too crowded. They can't get in because it's jam-packed. And they say, hey, what do you guys say? Let's just climb up on the roof. Let's start ripping the roof apart, and then we'll lower our friend in on the ropes. Like, those are real friends. That is an amazing group of friends to have. So now this guy is laying front and center right in front of Jesus, and, and everyone is fully expecting 
that they know how this is going to play out. Jesus is going to heal him, just like he's healed all the other people that he's done. But, but Jesus has a different agenda. Take note of that. Jesus will often have a different agenda than what our agenda is. We may want one thing, um, but if you're following Jesus, hold loosely to your agenda. Be ready to adjust yours to align with his because he's taking this in a whole different direction. Um, And so here he is in this crowded house. He's got everyone's undivided attention and Jesus makes this bold, outrageous declaration. He says, your sins are forgiven. But then he he discerns that that what he said, it's not sitting well with, with the religious teachers, the scribes. He says he knew their hearts that that Jesus addressed them at, at the heart level, which is the same thing that he does with us. But when he perceives that, he doesn't back down on this statement, this claim that he made. He actually, instead, he backs it up. It's like he's saying, guys, listen up, pay attention. This moment right here, this gets to the very heart of who I am and what I'm all about. He heals him physically, he says, for this reason, so that you will know that forgiveness, it's found in me. It's found in Jesus. That's what Jesus wanted them to see. Forgiveness is found in him. And today, that's still what he wants us to see, that that he is the one who is able to meet that deepest need that we all have, to have our sins forgiven. Forgiveness is what allows us to get past our past. You know, there's not a person in this room who we don't look back on on our lives without some level of of regret. And, And that reality, in one way or another, can really weigh our lives down. You know, the world is filled with people who are carrying around invisible backpacks that are loaded down with the weight of guilt and shame and regret. They're filled with the weight of our failures, of our flaws, and all the ways that we've blown it. And and we carry that weight around because we just, we don't know how to get it off our backs. We don't know how to get rid of it. You know, the word the Bible uses to describe that weight is sin. Uh, The Greek word literally translates as missing the mark. So so if you imagine that you're like shooting an arrow at the bullseye of a target, but when the arrow leaves the bow, it goes in this trajectory that misses the mark. Our lives miss the mark of the target of God's righteous standards that same way. So our creator who made us, who loves us, he calls us to live our lives one way, And we live a different way. We miss the mark. So God says, do this, but we don't do it. And then God says, don't do that, and we do it, right? He says, be selfless. And and sometimes we are, but then other times we're selfish. He says, tell the truth, and sometimes we do, but other times we exaggerate the truth just a little bit and tell something other than the truth. That's That's examples of missing the mark. It's sin, and it impacts our lives. It impacts our realities in every way, at both a horizontal level with our relationships with each other and on a vertical level with our core relationship with God. 
On a human level, it, it rips apart our relationships with each other. And it rips apart our relationship with God as well. And, and according to Scripture, everything that's wrong in this world can be traced back, whether directly or indirectly, to this issue of sin. And, and it's, a, it's an issue that, that plagues us all. All of us miss the mark. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. And, and just in case you happen to be wondering this morning if, well, I'm not quite sure, Pastor Brian. I think I might be the exception to the rule. I don't sure I've ever done anything wrong. I don't think I've ever hurt someone. I don't have any regrets. Here's my invitation. Turn to the person next to you and ask them. And, and be ready to listen. Um, if you don't want to try that, I don't blame you. I don't either, because I know what the answer would be. It'd be a big smile on the face, and are you kidding me, right? Uh, but the, the question then becomes, what do we do with all that stuff? How do we resolve this sin issue? How do we unload this weight that weighs us down? There's a lot of strategies, but what I want to say this morning is there's one solution. A couple of the strategies. Some people try the comparison strategy. It sounds something like this. I may not be perfect, but comparatively, on the scales, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. I'm a decent person. As a matter of fact, I'm better than most. I'm better than average, according to our own estimations, which if you think about it, isn't that in and of itself just a very prideful statement, right? Just in and of itself. Do you know that I've never met a person who ever said, I'm not a pretty good person. So, so we are all better than the rest, just like everybody else, if that makes sense, which it doesn't, which is the problem, right? So when you really pry down, you drill down on this, this mindset, this strategy, here's what I found. What it comes down to is, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. And that's the strategy, right? The comparison game. So long as we're not as bad as Hitler, we're pretty good people. Um, do I have to tell you that playing the comparison game, grading ourselves on the curve, that doesn't take the weight off of our backs. It does not resolve uh, the sin issue. Other, other people try this strategy of, of working it off, right? I failed, I've got my faults, I've got my failures and all that, but, but if I just keep on striving, keep on trying to do more good, and so as long as my good deeds are, are outweighing my bad deeds, then, then that will resolve the issue. That will release the burdens. Do I have to tell you that it doesn't? Right? Because here's the question. How good is good enough? And, and how do you know that you've done enough? See, there's, there's no peace in that strategy. That backpack never gets lighter, and those burdens stay right where they are. There's, there's no shortage of strategies, but there's one solution, and that solution is forgiveness. And forgiveness is found in Jesus, and that's the whole point that he's making here. Jesus is looking at this physically paralyzed guy, and he sees something so different. He sees someone who needs more than physical healing, needs spiritual healing. He needs God's forgiveness. 
And that's what we all need. We need God's forgiveness because we cannot resolve that issue on our own. So it's not about working off your karmic debt. It's not about playing the comparison game. This forgiveness that Jesus extends in this passage, it's immediate. It is on the spot. He says, son, your sins are forgiven right there. The Greek word for forgiven means dismissed or sent away. Forgiveness means being able to drop that backpack, to let go of those burdens on the spot, knowing that they've been resolved completely, that our wrongs are no longer being held against us. And and that's just something we can't do on our own. We are actually as helpless to do that as this man was to make himself well again and walk on his own. And so that's why in this passage, in this story, what we see is the key word that Jesus ties to forgiveness is not works, it's faith. So he says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. So this is the first time that we see in the gospel of Mark that there's this this introduction to this word faith. And by the way, he says, when he saw their faith, not because of their faith, but the idea is that all their hope was in Jesus. And they knew that there was nothing they could do to make their friend well again. If he was ever going to be well, if he was ever going to be healed, it wasn't going to be up to them. It was going to be all up to Jesus. And and that's a connection that we're going to see a whole lot more of as this story continues to unfold. Forgiveness is tied to trusting in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. It's believing that he's done for us what we can't ever do on our own. That he can take all of our past, all of our failures, all of our sins and shortcomings and forgive them all. Dismiss them. Evict them out of our lives so they're no longer in the rearview mirror and we can just move on. Faith is about coming to Jesus with nothing but need, right? Just like these guys did when they brought their friend. I've got nothing. I'm just laying my life before you, trusting that you can forgive me, that you can release this load of burdens from my life. Because what we're completely incapable of doing, Jesus is sufficiently able to accomplish. And so Jesus very clearly states I have the authority to forgive sins. And then he asks the crowd as he's got their attention, which is easier to say? Is it easier to say, I've forgiven your sins, or is it easier to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? Now, the answer to that question is is that it's, it's easier to just say your sins are forgiven, right? Because the reality is there's no way to check that. There's no way to verify that. We can't see that physically. That's a spiritual thing. But he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, he's saying, I am going to do something miraculous as proof that this bold, audacious claim that I've just made is true. And he commands the man, get up, take up your mat, go home. And it says he got up, took up his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Now, there's just one thing that we have to understand about this, that it may be easier to say your sins are forgiven, but you know what? It's not easier for our sins to be forgiven. 
Those words, your sins are forgiven, are the most expensive words ever uttered. Because the reality is that that debt still had to get paid. That burden still had to be borne. And Jesus here not only has the right to forgive, he also assumed the responsibility for it as well. And this takes us to the cross. Jesus took our burdens from us and he bore them himself. He paid that price for us and it cost him everything. He took our regrets he took our shame, he took our failure, and he bore them on the cross when he gave up his life in our place. And so the sin of the whole world was laid upon Jesus at the cross, and the sinless Son of God willingly laid down his life as a sacrifice. He paid the price in full so he can declare to broken down people like me, people like you, people like us, and say these words, your sins are forgiven. There's a beautiful song that we're going we're gonna to end with, and, and, and it says, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I am accepted because you were condemned. That's what happened. And you may say, right, Pastor Brian, you have no idea about my life. That may apply to some people, but it doesn't apply to people like me. And it's true, I don't know about you. I don't know the details of your life. I don't know what you've done. But here's my question to you. Do you know what Jesus has done? Do you understand the extent he went through to be able to say to you and declare your sins are forgiven? He left heaven. He came to this broken down earth. He walked on it as a man. And he gave himself fully and completely. He was, he was misunderstood. He was abandoned by his closest friends. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was whipped. He was spit on. He was laughed at. He was ridiculed. He was punched. He was stripped. He was speared. He had his hair pulled out, and he was nailed to a, cloth, to a cross. When the weight of sin was put on him, the father even turned his back on him, and he was utterly alone and that weight crushed him completely. Jesus went to hell and back for you. So you wouldn't have to. So he can come to us and say, your sins are forgiven. And make no mistake, the crucifixion is a horrible scene. It is a horrible picture, and that's because sin is a horrible thing. And the point is, that what Jesus did was enough. The price he paid was sufficient. And there is no sin that will ever go beyond the sacrifice that he made on the cross. It doesn't matter how big it may seem to you, he paid for it on the cross so you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Son of Man, Jesus, has the authority to forgive sin. And it's all tied to trust. It's tied to faith, not in ourselves and what we can do, but trust in Jesus and what he's done for us. That's what untaps the flow of forgiveness into our lives. And so what does it look like to have that forgiveness flow into our lives? What, what, is it, what does it look when those burdens fall off our backs? It's, it's the ability to, to claim truths like Romans 8.1. 
But this promise that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, this law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Those are beautiful words. You know, there's, there's two groups of people here in this passage, and we're going to continue to see these kind of sides um, just form and cohese and come into focus. Two very different responses. We have the friends and their faith on the one side, and then we have the scribes and their skepticism on the other side, right? And I do believe at this point that, that Jesus is speaking, he's addressing the scribes as an invitation. He wants them so badly to get it. He wants them to get on board with what's going on here. And, uh, you know, it's blowing up their paradigms, it's blowing up their assumptions, it's blowing up their expectations, but he wants that for them. He wants that for us, you know. Um, but it's setting a pattern of things that will come. And, it sets, and that pattern is still set and in effect today. There are those who, who believe and receive and find in Jesus everything. They find in him forgiveness. And there's those who, whose skepticism quickly turns to cynicism and come to that point where they say, there is not room in my life for you and me. You've got to go, Jesus. Be gone. I don't need a Savior. I can do it myself. And so that brings the whole thing into sharp focus, and it causes us and challenges us to consider, what is my response? Let me make one, one, one last point, and that is uh, the idea that forgiveness flows, that for those of us who at time to time, if we find ourselves, and we do find ourselves in relational conflict with the people around us, the people under our own roofs and our own family, we just cannot seem to find our way through it and out of it. I want to tell you that once God's forgiveness, once Jesus' forgiveness starts flowing into your life, it not only flows to you, it flows through you, and, and it makes the situations, the conflicts, the challenges that we walk through on a relational level look very different as we understand how Jesus forgives. And so when the man on that mat, when he stood up that day and he walked away, he walked away with the confidence, not only that he had physical uh, strength again, but, but that his past was in the past. He walked away knowing that his sins were forgiven. And my hope and my prayer for each of us this morning is that when you get up and you walk out of this room, that you'll walk away with that same confidence. Not with just the, I hope my sins are forgiven, but with that assurance, my sins are forgiven, that I can leave the past in my past and, and it's because of Jesus and that he's dealt with it completely. And so I'm going to close uh, with a prayer right now. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never received his forgiveness, I just want to offer up this opportunity um, to lead you in a prayer um, so you can leave here forgiven. And, um, and so let's just pray. And as we do that, if, if this is a prayer that you want to pray for yourself, I just invite you to just do that in the quietness of your own heart. Say something like, Lord Jesus, I recognize that the greatest lead need in my life is for forgiveness. Sometimes I think it's other things, but it's, 
it's forgiveness. You bring that front and center, and, and I've sinned, I've fallen short, and today I'm choosing to trust in Jesus for my forgiveness. I'm done relying on myself and my own good works. I believe that on the cross, Jesus paid the price in full. And today I receive your forgiveness for my life and everything in my past. Thank you for loving me so much and lead my life from this day forward. If you've prayed that prayer, if you've trusted in Jesus, that what Jesus said, what he spoke to that paralyzed man, that applies to you today in a very real and a very personal way. And I hope that you hear that in your heart. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Father, mother, brother, sister, your sins are forgiven. Child, student, your sins are forgiven. It feels good to know that we can leave here with that hope, with that confidence, with that lightness, and with that freedom.